Today's show is sponsored by CloudZero. For software-driven companies focused on growing margins, CloudZero is the only cloud cost intelligence platform that puts engineering in control by connecting technical decisions to business results. By analyzing cloud services like AWS and Snowflake, CloudZero provides real-time cost insights that help you maximize margins. Engineering teams can answer critical questions like, who are my most expensive customers? How much does this specific feature cost our business? What's the cost impact of re-architecting this application? With cost anomaly alerts via Slack, product-specific data views, and granular engineering context that makes it easy to investigate any cost, CloudZero is your complete cloud cost intelligence platform, connecting the dots between high-level trends and individual line items. Join companies like Drift, Rabbit7, and SeatGeek by visiting cloudzero.com cloudcast to get started today. That's cloudzero.com slash cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. As we hit mid-June of 2021, hope everybody's doing well. Another Sunday Perspective show, and uh, hopefully everybody is starting to get a chance to uh, to get out and enjoy the summer if, uh, if this is summertime for you, and hopefully uh, the weather's starting to get a little better. The kids are probably getting out of school, and you're starting to potentially look at some vacations and, and maybe getting back to a little bit of normalcy. So hope everybody's doing well. On today's show, uh, we kind of want to dig into a topic that comes up from time to time. People will ask us, um, since we've been doing the show for for quite a while, and, and we cover a really broad range of topics around technology, around cloud computing, around the internet, and so forth. Um, you know, how do we sort of select the shows? And uh, obviously, you know, our goal is to make sure that um, you know, number one, um, we're putting out really quality content. Uh, number two, we've always said, you know, a lot of the focus of the show is to help us learn what's going on with the latest trends. Uh, you know, trends in technology, hopefully, trends that are going to extend for long periods of time, and, and things that hopefully you'll be interested in. So, you know, one of the questions comes up all the time is there's so much that goes on in our industry. You know, how do you pick, uh, you know, which trends to follow, which trends do you kind of, you know, think are are going to to last longer or, or, you know, win or lose or whatever. Um, So we thought we'd kind of want to dig into that a little bit. Um, you know, dig in a little bit for, you know, how do we look at, you know, the track record of founding teams if we're if we're talking about technology from new companies? You know, how do we kind of look at the macro trends in the industry? How do we look at some societal trends that might impact technology, uh, government trends, and so forth? So I thought we would kind of dig into that a little bit. We have a number of things that we often use as sort of a mental checklist for trying to determine, um, you know, not so much picking individual company winners and losers. We've, um, you know, we've, we've been very fortunate to have a lot of different companies talk about a lot of technologies in the show. But, you know, one of the things that we do track, um, we've done well over 500 shows. I think we were up around 522 at this point. Um, but we've had, you know, 50, almost 60 uh, companies acquired uh, that have been guests on our show. We've seen, you know, nearly $5 billion in VC funding for the companies that have been on our show and, uh, you know, nearly $60 billion in, uh, you know, the acquisitions of the companies that have been on our show. So, you know, by no means is that sort of, uh, you know, claim to be the most important thing that to take a look at. But we've been, I think, fairly good at kind of identifying the things that hopefully uh, will sort of 
you know, kind of cut between the wheat and the chaff, you know, kind of signal from the noise, um, you know, and, and help you as you're thinking about, uh, you know, which technologies maybe your company should invest in, you should think about investing your time and effort and, and learning in, um, you know, just kind of how we think about this as we've evolved over the last 10 years. So we're going to get to that right after the break. Today's show is brought to you by CBT Nuggets. You know how much we value ongoing education on the Cloudcast. And CBT Nuggets is exactly what Aaron and I wish we had when we were trying to get our certification early in our careers. CBT Nuggets is all about bringing a personalized touch to learning about cloud computing, virtualization, networking, DevOps, and much, much more. Whether it's their hands-on labs with personalized coaching or the online chat functions that come up with every instructor-led course, CBT Nuggets' team of experts is always there to help you get the most from your training and your PASA certification. You can check it all out at cbtnuggets.com slash cloudcast and sign up for a free trial. You get access to the full catalog of great training, including virtual labs, quizzes, and other premium features completely free for the first seven days. That's cbtnuggets.com slash cloudcast. Today's show is sponsored by Okta, the leading independent identity solution. Okta provides best-in-class authorization so your customers and workforce can safely access what they need most right when they need it from anywhere. Organizations around the world trust Okta's Identity Cloud to sign in, authorize, and manage users, whether it's employees, contractors, partners, or customers. And with Okta's developer tools, you'll never have to build authentication again. Our customizable code blocks are flexible and future-proof with easy-to-use APIs and SDKs, so you can do less coding and more shipping. Okta is dedicated to building the most reliable, neutral identity platform because it means protecting more than a login. Identity is protecting people, their ideas, their work, their brilliance. It's protecting your future with confidence. Learn more at Okta.com. That's O-K-T-A dot com. And we're back. And, you know, as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, we're going to kind of dig into, you know, some of the the sort of VC trends versus technology trends versus customer buying trends. And, and how do we, uh, you know, Aaron and I, the folks here at the Cloudcast, how do we sort of think about it so that, um, you know, number one, we're kind of casting a broad net. We're, we're looking at a lot of different technologies. But number two, you know, how do we sort of think about them in terms of trends? Because obviously, people only have so much bandwidth to, to go out and explore new things. They only have so much sort of mental capacity to, to learn new things. And, and obviously, you kind of like some sort of guidepost, some sort of map to help you figure out, you know, are the things that you're interested in and that you're trying to explore, whether it's for your own personal, um, you know, career development or for your company or, uh, you know, just something you're kind of interested in exploring, that it's going to be worth your time, that it's, you know, not going to maybe go away in a year or two years or, uh, you know, going to be displaced by some other standard or something else. So I thought I'd walk through, uh, you know, sort of a, a thought process, a checklist, if you will, of kind of a lot of the ways that we think about, um, you know, technology trends and, uh, you know, whether it's worth our time to sort of explore them, you know, for this show, but also, you know, kind of how we think about uh, interacting with guests and, and you know, for our own personal uh, evolution as well as we look at, you know, where we want to be in the tech industry. So I think there's a couple of things to, you know, kind of get out there up front. Um, the first one is there's a very, very long life cycle between um, when a technology may uh, emerge, right? And that might come out of university research. It might come out of, you know, some uh, capability that exists uh, on the back end of some service on the web that already there, but it's not available to a broad number of people. Um, 
between when it maybe gets funded by VCs, right? Maybe, you know, an idea pops out um, and VCs want to start funding it. Maybe it began in an incubator uh, to when it actually starts becoming even a technology trend that you're aware of. Maybe it starts popping up in, in events. Maybe there's a, a conference specifically around it or a talk track around it. And then when, you know, companies actually start implementing this. And again, keep in mind, even once companies start implementing something, there is the, you know, sort of normal technology cycles, right? There's the very early adopters. There's the sort of trough of disillusionment, if you will. There's uh, the mainstream. Uh, and then there's the laggards and so forth. So always a lot of time that can go on. And again, you know, by time, could be talking about 10 years, could be talking about 20 years and so forth, right? I mean, we a lot of the times, you know, we've been talking about cloud computing on this show for 10 years. It had been around for at least three or four years, maybe four or five years before, and obviously it'll go on for, for a long time after that. The second thing is something I, I like to sort of jokingly refer to as Gracely's theorem. And it goes something like this. Um, you know, there are very few truly new ideas in technology. Rather, there are, you know, mostly improvements because we either see uh, you know, significant improvement uh, in either the cost or the price or, you know, the uh, the speed or the price of CPUs or uh, the amount of bandwidth that becomes available uh, for new applications to flourish. And the reason I mention this is, you know, there's there's often a couple of things that, uh, you know, happen. Number one is sometimes technologies are, you know, a really interesting thing, but at the right, you know, the kind of the wrong technology at the wrong time or the right technology at the wrong time, right? There's got to be really a, a, a the right match between um, when a technology idea comes along and the timing of it. And sometimes, um, you know, because, uh, you know, it's a great idea, but it's just so expensive from a CPU perspective, a processing perspective, it can't ever find economic viability. Or it may some, be something as simple as, you know, this would be really awesome, except, it consumes so much bandwidth or the protocols involved with it or the application itself is such that it can only run uh, in super, you know, high bandwidth optimized environments, you know, and until we see that high bandwidth uh, readily available and, you know, we've, obviously we've seen that grow in the mobile networks. We've seen that uh, in, in data centers, we've seen that in interconnects, and now we're seeing it in things like 5G and Edge. Um, that really starts to open up a whole new set of doors. And so, uh, you know, I sort of use that in the back of my mind because a lot of times we will see technologies that come along and we go, you know, I feel like I've seen this before. And one of the things that we have to really be careful of is to not get caught in that trap of, oh, well, we saw this before, it failed before, therefore it will automatically fail now. And sometimes you do have to sort of reevaluate it against, hey, did the did the economics of this significantly change? Or did the amount of bandwidth that's able to get to something like this significantly change, right? And, you know, I'll throw one thing out that, you know, will, will come to mind and a lot of people will, will uh, uh, you know, recognize this is, you know, things like uh, mobile devices, you know, pre-iPhone, there were devices that were out there that seemed very similar to the iPhone. It was just that at the time, uh, the ability to give a fully visual graphic color web uh, wasn't possible. There wasn't enough bandwidth really in the in the cellular networks to be able to do that very well. And the second thing was, you know, the form factors of those things, the CPU and how much memory you could have in those devices and what kind of CPUs you could do at a certain price point just didn't work themselves out. And so, you know, you really have to kind of be cognizant of that, um, you know, but I, I use a couple of those things sort of as starting points, right? Keep in mind uh, long life cycles of technology and also, uh, you know, what's driving the next generation of what's new. And is it really new or is it new because of, uh, you know, better CPU, better economics, better bandwidth? And it might be perfectly fine that it's sort of a reincarnation of something that came along before, um, but now might be really, really interesting to take a look at. 
Um, you know, so my list is, I, as I sort of go through this, and these are in no sort of order. Uh, my sort of checklist is, first and foremost, um, you know, is the thing we're talking about, is it a platform or is it a feature? And, you know, a lot of times this is the great debate of, hey, this is a new company that came out. And um, oftentimes you'll look at it and you'll go, well, that's pretty cool, but it seems like a feature. And, you know, there is a long history of things that, um, you know, were a feature and got consumed by a bigger platform. You know, the bigger platform could just go, oh, yeah, we'll just add that feature. We didn't know that was going to be really popular. And other times, the simplicity of one thing sometimes is is really, really powerful, right? So take something like filters with Instagram, um, you know. There was just something about the ability to take your own camera roll, right? So Instagram wouldn't have existed without mobile phones. It wouldn't have existed without uh, just having everybody having a camera in their pocket. And they built a feature and they built a sort of a social network, which was able to go off and you know consume your Twitter social network or your Facebook social network. They didn't have to build on those things. And they did this one thing really well, which is filters. And obviously, again, they eventually got consumed into a bigger platform in Facebook. But you, know, you really are looking at, um, are you a platform? Are you a feature? And if you're a platform, you know, a lot of times people say, well, platforms win, features tend to lose, but not all the time. Platforms don't always win, right? You have to also understand sort of how far down the stack, how fundamental, how kind of foundational is that platform? Because if you start trying to think about, well, I'm building a platform on top of this platform, you very well can get consumed just like a feature in a bigger, broader platform as well. So you know, platform versus feature is oftentimes a good way of sort of going, you know, do I think this will survive? Is this really important? Is this really new? But also, if you look at things as a platform, you know, are they the baseline plot? Are they sort of the foundational platform? Or are they sort of somewhere up higher in the stack, in which case, to that underlying platform, it probably looks like a feature as well. So keep that in mind. Um, the second sort of test or you know criteria that I often use is what I call the Bed Bath and Beyond test. And if you're not in the United States, this might not make sense to you, but I often kind of use this for for people on my team. Uh, you know, as new things come along, um, if you uh, have a mailbox, um, oftentimes at least here in the United States, we get lots of flyers and coupons and discounts that come in the mail. And one of the ones that uh, is kind of ubiquitous is from a company called Bed Bath and Beyond. It's a big blue piece of paper that shows up, and it says twenty percent off one item. And because you get them all the time, they tend to stack up around your house and you might ask your spouse or your kids or whatever, hey, do you need anything from Bed Bath & Beyond? I have this 20% off coupon. And the reason I kind of frame it like that is the only time the coupon really sort of motivates you is if you have to go to this store, Bed Bath & Beyond, which sells you know home goods, and you're like, well, you know, if I'm going to be there, I might as well get 20% off one item. But 20% off one item doesn't motivate you to go to the store. Right, So if you're going to the store, it's great. You get some money off. But it's never going to motivate you to make a change in what you do. It's never going to change your agenda. It's never going to kind of you know, make you uh, drive out of your way because it's not big enough. It's not motivational enough. It's not incentivizable enough. And so you know, I often sort of say, well, you know, let's apply the Bed Bath & Beyond test to this. Does this new technology significantly change the economics of what you're dealing with? And I typically say, like, look, it probably needs to be at least 50% cheaper than what you do today. Because if it's not that, um, there's probably some optimizations that you can get out of your current environment to get you 10, 20, 15, 20%. Um, 
And so 50% is maybe something that you will take a look at because there's always going to be some pressure on you to try and take some cost out of your system. And 50% is sort of a nice baseline. If you can do, you know, 80, 90%, that's you know, even better, right? We see things sometimes like people will say, well, I went from using EC2 compute to using Lambda and Lambda is, you know, orders of magnitude cheaper. Okay. That's one of those areas where you go, yeah, it's different, but it's orders of magnitude cheaper. Um, that's just one example, but that's kind of one of those tests I often use is, is again, um, you know, is this going to be something that if it's driving a new economic uh, paradigm, is it going to be significant enough to, to drive any sort of change behavior in what you're doing? Uh, the third one um, I call the friction test, right? Does this remove significant barriers from a previous generation of how you did something? Because again, at the end of the day, keep, keep in mind, um, you know, the way we do computing is not radically, radically different, right? The, the components of, that we have, right? There are computers, there is software, there's networking, there's storage, there's databases, you know, there's cache, there's interconnected things like the internet. Yeah, there's a lot of other moving pieces, but, you know, those fundamental building blocks. And so you kind of have to ask yourself, if I'm going to take on something new, if some new thing comes along, um, is it significantly, significantly, uh, you know, remove some sort of barrier, uh, some sort of problem that we have, some sort of number of tasks or steps that we need to to be successful at that space. And if you can do that, if it's a significant number of of tasks, if it removes a significant barrier, a significant amount of friction, that's worth looking into. Because again, people are always looking for things to become simplified because our technology world, unfortunately, never seems to get any simpler, right? There'll be aspects that get simpler, but we're always looking for things that are going to be simpler and faster, uh, especially when uh, there's an existing thing that creates a lot of toil, a lot of burden, a lot of technical debt. Um, the next thing on my list is something I call, you know, don't fight a land war in Asia test. And obviously this goes back to some uh, sort of World War II um, terminology of, you know, trying to fight uh, against, you know, the Germans were fighting against the Russians and, and um, you know, kind of the Russians could consistently move back, move back, move back, move back in Europe. Um, but, you know, also the Germans were trying to fight a two-front war. And obviously this has nothing to do with politics or, or war. Um, but you don't want to get into a situation where, if you're something new and the thing that you're trying to displace or improve has what seems like infinite runway to, um, you know, not have to evolve that much, they can make small evolutions and you're constantly spending lots and lots of money trying to evolve your technology. And so we, we sort of look at some of these technologies and say, Hey, look, you know, are they, are they fighting a two front war? Do they really know what their thing is? Or are they fighting something that is so, so far ahead of them? And there's so, so much entrenchment that, you know, while it's new and shiny, it may never, ever gain traction like that. A uh, perfect example of this was like OpenStack. Um, if you listen to the OpenStack, uh, you know, sort of history show we did a number of months ago, you know, you, you know that one of the big fundamental challenges they had was they were trying to displace VMware, who'd been around for more than a decade, and they were trying to displace AWS, who was still sort of in their earlier stages, but trying to displace two very distinct things, distinct economic models, distinct learning curves at the same time. And fundamentally, you could say, well, they're both infrastructure as services for the most part, but you know, not understanding the nuances of, well, that's not fundamentally what they were. They were much more than that. They were entrenched 
you know, skill sets. They were totally different economic models. They were, you know, very different innovation models and, and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, kind of think about how long do we think this thing's going to take before it can ever, if it's trying to overtake an existing technology, how long will that take? Does the community have the stamina? Does the company behind it, does the VC funding have the stamina to, um, you know, survive that, that long sort of trench war, if you will? Sorry for the terminology. Next thing I have on my list is probably one of the most important ones, which is what we'll call the follow the money test. And what I mean by that is you not only want to, you know, look at the, the maybe the lead company that's driving a technology. There's always some company who, who leads this or some group, if you will. And, you know, you kind of want to follow the, the test that, um, you know, has, has been successful in the past. And, and what that, that sort of litmus test looks like is, uh, and we've seen it with both VMware, we've seen it with um, Microsoft in the past, and, and it kind of goes like this. You know, for every $1 that somebody might spend on their technology, you're often going to spend $5, $8, $10, $15 on the accompanying things around that ecosystem, right? So, you know, unless you have a new technology or a platform or, or a way of doing something that, that is truly winner take all, and, and that's very, you know, that's becoming lesser and lesser in our world because um, people like open standards, they like open technologies, they, you know, we've got interconnected services, interconnected applications. You really have to be able to work with an ecosystem of companies. And in order for that ecosystem to want to work with you or your technology, there has to be money in it, right? So, you know, as you're looking at some of these technologies, um, you know, even if uh, you're working with, you know, a leading company and something might be sort of open source or the standard, you also want to know, does their ecosystem, do their partners, are they able to make money as well? Because number one, that's going to mean you're going to have a lot of choices for all the adjacent technologies that are around that core one. But also means there's a better chance that you know you can be flexible about how you work on things. You're going to have competition, which is going to drive you know, you know hopefully favorable economics for you. But also you know it it means that that company doesn't necessarily that centralized company doesn't have to hold all the burden of all of the engineering cost to be able to innovate everywhere. Right. And again, you know, VMware famously back in the day used to say like eight, you know, $10 uh, for every $1 spent, $10 happens in the ecosystem. I think Microsoft used to say like 12 or $15. And maybe you don't have to be that broad, but you do want to see that, you know, not only does one of the central companies in it, but also the, the ecosystem is able to, it's good for customers that gives them a lot of choice, but also it means that you know, fundamentally, like if they're building, if this is a platform level technology, that it's going to be able to expand beyond just the ideas of that central group and the capabilities and funding of that central group. Uh, last two that I have on my list kind of go hand in hand. And we, we talk about these all the time, right? We talk about the, the, the triumphant of technology, people and process. The last two really are around culture change test and the reeducation test, right? And the culture change test basically says, you know, in order for this to succeed, can it succeed as the as a you know assuming company a consuming company would take it on or is it only going to succeed if that company essentially has to change their culture right and and this is this is where we see things like devops and we see you know some of these things where people aren't really sure like is this a technology change or is this a cultural change uh, and keep in mind, right, um, technology or cultural change is really, really hard to do, right? People don't inherently like to change for change's sake. Um, 
if they don't necessarily see it as something that's going to improve their company or oftentimes, uh, you know, at a micro level, is it going to improve their job? Um, is the skill set jump really big? Um, so you really have to be thinking about that. It's very, very hard to change the culture of a company. It often takes either, uh, you know, a uh, you know, terrible thing to happen to the company, in which case they really have to rethink things. So they missed earnings for 10 quarters in a row, or, you know, their industry imploded, or, um, you know, maybe they get a brand new leader, and that leader has to fail, and then a new leader has to come in. So, you know, oftentimes to see culture change, um, you know, you want to bake that into your equation. Does my technology, is this technology only going to work if the culture changes 180 degrees? Or, can it be you know, fairly easily consumed and, and kind of uh, integrated into what we do today? And the last piece I mentioned, the re-education test, is really, you know, um, are the skills available to, to adapt this technology, right? Is it, um, is it something that, you know, there is a very finite number of people that can uh, do this today in the world? And, you know, in order for it to be widely successful, there is, you know, mass, mass updates? Or is this something that, you know, again, uh, you know, let's take something like virtualization. Well, there wasn't a whole lot that you needed to do, right? You, you had to learn some virtualization, but you didn't have to change the applications. You didn't have to run them on completely different hardware. Um, you know, you could plug into existing infrastructure, for example. Um, and so, you know, there were people who were like, oh, I understand some parts of this today and I can kind of relearn, I can relearn some new things. But it wasn't 100, 100% new. It wasn't 99% new. It was probably, you know, 20 or 30% new stuff. And, um, and again, that sort of fit in the same domain as what people did, right? So you're not asking developers to have to learn, you know, low-level infrastructure networking. You're not having to ask network people to become, you know, super high-end Java coders in order to be successful at this. So, again, those last two things, culture and change, uh, people change, obviously, Technology always has change. All new technologies are going to require some amount of relearning, retraining, reskills, things like that. But you're really trying to gauge, like, is this going to be 10 or 20%? Is this going to be 50%? Are there immediate use cases that this can be for? Or is this, you know, entirely about, you know, sort of emerging use cases that haven't been thought up yet? So I hope that that checklist was was useful. I think if you sort of go back through and listen to it, um, I think you'll find a lot of times as we talk to companies, especially as we talk to new companies, it's kind of the baseline when we do our interviews as well. We're kind of trying to gauge not only the company, we're excited about new stuff, but we're also trying to figure out, you know, have these companies thought through that stuff? Are they able to articulate it? Um, is it immediately, you know, um, obvious as to, what they're going to do, why it's going to be successful. And again, you know, keep in mind, many companies, many technologies start in one place. They have to pivot because they're trying to find market fit. Um, and again, you're really trying to gauge, you know, I'm not trying to put ourselves in the, in the shoes of venture capitalists. They have to be way, way in advance. And oftentimes even venture capitalists spread out their portfolio dollars. They're trying to be in lots of different markets. Sometimes they want to be in hype. Sometimes they want to be in, you know, sort of things that they think are disruptive and, and other types of things. I'm, I'm kind of trying to put this more in the perspective of once a technology emerges and you start to see some com communities emerge and you're thinking about it as a, as an end customer or somebody who might use the technology, you know, do you invest in it? How long do you think that investment is going to take? How much expensive is going to be? How much change is involved? So I tried to walk through all those things on today's show. Hopefully that'll be you know, kind of a useful checklist to have in the back of your mind. And it's something that has really shaped how we've done a lot of our shows for, uh, for a long time in terms of, um, you know, just, are we interested in the technology? Do we want to continue to pursue it in follow-up shows? And 
Um, again, you know, hopefully that just gives you some insight as to how we think. Obviously, there are lots of uh, successful and unsuccessful ways to, to sort of look at technology. That's the way we look at it. Hopefully it was useful. We'd love to get your feedback. If uh, you have found other tips and tricks that help you identify uh, good technologies or bad technologies, we'd love to hear about them. Put them in the show notes or uh, you know, give us feedback on Twitter or anywhere else. So with that, uh, we're going to wrap up. I want to thank everybody for listening today. Again, uh, love doing the Sunday Perspective shows with you. It gives us a, a chance to sort of dive a little deeper into some things that we've been thinking about. So thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for helping us grow the show. Thanks for growing our community around the world. And thanks for giving us feedback uh, on Apple Podcasts and everywhere else that you listen to the show. Um, So with that, we're going to wrap up and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media.